Our scripture reading today is from Romans 4, verses 1 through 12. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. And if you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Before we read, I would remind you that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Romans 4, 1 through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. For then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sam. I remind you this morning that it matters what you think. It matters what you believe. And it matters because it makes a difference in what you do and how you live, how you treat others, how you respond to hardship in life. It matters what you think. It matters what you believe. In particular, what you think about God, whether or not you believe or trust in him and his word, his promises. It matters because not only does it make a difference in your life now, today, but also for all eternity. We're told that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If Abraham did not believe God, it would not have been credited to him as righteousness. He would not have been counted righteous in God's sight. It made a difference what he thought about, what he believed. Now, this does not mean that it was actually his faith that saved him. Abraham was saved by Jesus alone, by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His faith itself was a gift from God, not a work. But Abraham believed God. 
And it mattered. It made a difference, just as it does for you. I've told you last week that I would encourage you to think about, to believe Romans 8, in particular verses 31 through 39. And maybe make an effort to memorize that passage over the next several weeks before we get to Romans 8. Or maybe even the entire chapter. It matters what you think about and what you believe. As you think about those truths, it will make a difference in your life. Right now, many of our children are participating in uh, this, this ministry we've started of encouraging them to memorize the Word of God. Why are they doing that? And why are we encouraging them to do that? Because it matters. It makes a difference what you think about and what you believe. Jesus said, he prayed for us, uh, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So God uses his word in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And the scriptures bear witness about Jesus and they lead us to eternal life in him. Here's another short verse from God's word that I would encourage you to think about. We're gonna think about it today and then again lord willing next week and it's uh short enough you could memorize it i believe very simply it's from psalm 119 verse 15 this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life i want you to think about that to meditate on it to believe it so that whether you are weighed down by sin or weighed down by suffering, the Holy Spirit will bring it to your mind and to your heart. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. So this week we'll think about that wonderful truth, the, the affliction in a, in a sense of our sin. And the cleansing that God's promise can bring us. And then next week, we'll think about that truth from Psalm 119, verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. More in the area of suffering. The pain, the hardships, the difficult circumstances, they may tempt us to unbelief and our need for comfort. Today, we're back in Romans 4. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be there again next week. And today I have, big surprise, three main points from this passage. The first two are essentially review from what we've already been. And they'll go pretty quickly and you'll think this is going to be a really short sermon until I get to point three. So stay with me. And then that last one we're going to focus mainly in on verses nine through 12. But here's the summary, the, the three main points. God's plan has always been that people from all nations would be part of his covenant family. Entrance into this covenant family has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, apart from works. It has always been a gift from God that is guaranteed for all who believe. And God has given his covenant people a visible sign and seal to mark their membership in God's covenant family. And that last third point is where we'll spend most of our time this morning. But this sign and seal, this is a gift from God to his people. It's meant to make a difference in what we think about and in what we believe, to strengthen our faith 
and this promise that gives us life. Now this sign for Abraham and his children in the Old Testament was circumcision. We believe that the sign for us and for our children, God's people in the New Testament today, is baptism. But let's begin with that first point, the review. God's plan has always been that people from all nations would be part of his covenant family. The promise first came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And then God says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's salvation was never meant only for Israel or only for the Jews, but for all families, all nations on the earth. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing to others. And we see this in Romans chapter 4. Look again at verse 9. Paul asks this question, is this blessing? And he's talking about the blessing of the covenant, the forgiveness of sins, being counted righteous in God's sight. This great, wonderful salvation we have from God. Is this only for the circumcised? Or also for the uncircumcised. It's, Paul way, it's Paul's way of asking, is this blessing only for the Jews or is it for the rest of the world? And verse 11 and 12 give us the answer. The purpose of this covenant, of this blessing, was to make Abraham the father of all who believe without being circumcised and the father of the circumcised. So the blessing was for people from all nations. We see this clearly in John's vision in Revelation, in chapter 5, when we are told that they are worshiping Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, and they cry out to him, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So, beloved, there is always an outward look in the life of the believer the follower of Jesus. Jesus said to his first disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So when we follow Jesus, what happens? We grow and we learn of his desire to bring others into his family. We grow in this desire to see all kinds of people repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. We also grow in our passion for the glory of God and our desire to see all people worship him and give him the honor and the glory that is due his holy name. This is why we as a church support missionaries in various parts of the world. This is why Molly is now in Ethiopia. This is why Matt and Jen Irvin and their children have been in London for over 20 years. This is really why the Duns will be in Belgium together as a family in just a matter of days. And this is why we planted this church here in Mount Joy. And so, beloved, if you want to grow in this, this this passion for the glory of God, the love for people and a desire to see them saved, it matters what you think about. And it matters what you believe. And we need to think about Jesus and fix our eyes on him and behold his glory. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit will conform us to the image of God's Son. One way that we can do that is by beholding the glory of Jesus in the gospel. And we do that in our second point this morning. So we've seen briefly, God's plan has always been 
It's always been that people from all nations would be part of his covenant family. And now we see that entrance into this covenant family has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, apart from works. It's always been a gift from God guaranteed for all who believe. Or we could say it this way. God's covenant people have always been saved by the righteousness of another. Not their own, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now look at the two groups again in verse 11. Paul writes that the purpose was to make Abraham the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that's the one group of people. Those who believe without being circumcised. And here's the other group. The father of the circumcised. Who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the father of both the uncircumcised and the circumcised. That's what makes the two groups different. One of them has been circumcised, and one of them hasn't been circumcised. But what unites them? What's the common thread that brings them together? The uncircumcised are described as those who believe. Those who believe. The circumcised are described as those who are not merely circumcised, but what's the important point? Who walk in the footsteps of the faith that Abraham had. So the common thread, the reason that Abraham is the father of both groups is because Paul is talking about people from all nations who share a common faith in Jesus Christ. What unites them is belief, faith in Jesus. And so that's why Paul will say in Galatians 3, know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So the only way that anyone can be counted righteous in God's sight is through faith in Jesus. For anyone who is a sinner, which is everyone except for Jesus, for sinful people from any ethnicity, any background, any nation, for sinful people, for you today, for every one of you today, for you to be justified in God's sight, you, along with anyone who wants this, must be clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Now, Martin Luther is one of the reformers that we have learned from in the past. And when he initially was studying the book of Romans and learning about the righteousness of God, it crushed him. This this standard of perfection. And it crushed him because he knew he was not righteous. He could see all of his sin, all of the ways in which he fell short. And he knew he could not measure up. He'd he'd read this and say, how can I be righteous? But then the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to the goodness of Jesus, to the beauty of the gospel. This idea that the righteousness by which he must be saved is not his own, but it belongs to someone outside of himself, a righteousness that is outside of us and indeed is the righteousness of Jesus. When he saw that, this is what he said, I was born again of the Holy Spirit and the doors of paradise swung open and I walked through. And it changed his life. It mattered what he thought about. It mattered what he believed. Entrance into the family of God has always been through the righteousness of Jesus alone. Beloved, he carries you in. He carries us in. And this gift of salvation is offered to all kinds of people. Anyone from anywhere. Anyone and everyone. 
who will repent and believe in Jesus, including you today. Each one of you this very day, your faith in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus today, if you trust in Jesus today, that faith is counted to you as righteousness. And you will be a true child of Abraham, a child of the covenant, a true child of God, a beloved member of God's family. We say, thank you, Jesus. So we see God's plan has always been that people from all nations would be part of his covenant family. Entrance into this covenant family has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, apart from our works. It has always been a gift from God that's guaranteed for all who believe. God's covenant people have always been and always will be saved by the righteousness of another. Not your own, the righteousness of Jesus. And then, what we see in verses 9 through 12 this morning is that God has given his covenant people a visible sign and seal to mark their membership in this covenant family. This sign and seal is a gift from God. It's a blessing for us. Now, one of the main things that Paul wants to make clear in Romans chapter 4 is that Abraham was counted righteous in God's sight before he was circumcised. Before. So it was not circumcision that saved him. So then we might ask, well, if Abraham was saved apart from circumcision, if that sign was not necessary for his salvation, then why? Why was he circumcised? And of course, we could answer, well, because God told him to. God commanded him in Genesis chapter 17. But why? Why did God give this command? Why did he give this sign? What was it for? What was the meaning of this sign? And Paul tells us in verse 11. In fact, in this one verse, we have the two most important words that help us understand what circumcision represented, that help us understand the meaning and the blessing that it was. And it's meaningful for us today because we believe that baptism has now replaced circumcision as the sign of God's covenant. So what we learn about, ba- about circumcision applies to baptism today. Now look at verse 11 and listen for the S words. The words that begin with S, there are two of them. He, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So you heard those two S words, two important words, sign and seal. A sign is a visible object that points to something different from and greater than itself. So if you drive along the highway, you can do this here in Pennsylvania. You can do this here in New York and I think a few other places. You drive along the highway and you see a sign that says, Troy, next exit. You understand, it's a city named Troy. Yeah, there's at least two cities named after me. You understand that the city of Troy is ahead of you. The sign is not the city of Troy. And it's not me. But it points to the city. Though it's less than the city, it's not without value, right? It's, it's helpful. It's pointing you in a direction. Circumcision and baptism act like signs from God in this way. They point to something different from and greater than themselves. They are visible pointers to a spiritual reality. So circumcision points to the covenant that God made with his people. 
that was always based on the work of Jesus. Jesus was the seed of Abraham that would bring God's blessing to the world. So Jesus is truly the one who brings that blessing to all the families of the earth. So circumcision acted as this sign, a visible pointer to a spiritual reality. But it also acts as a seal of ownership. Now in the ancient world, kings would have a special ring, and they would take that ring and they would dip it in wax, and then they would press it upon a letter. And it would imprint that seal of their ring on that letter to prove ownership to prove authenticity so that when that letter was delivered to someone, they would see that seal and it would say, this truly has come from the king. This king the king is the owner of this letter. It belonged to him. It, it definitely came from him. It, it certified that it was authentic. And so circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism today is a seal. It shows that we belong to God. We're not our own. God owns us. And we have been set apart by him from the world as his people. Now it's important for us to recognize. This does not mean that everyone who has received the sign or the seal of circumcision then or baptism today has truly been saved. We know that some bear the mark falsely. We saw this already in the Old Testament. It appears that Ishmael and Esau were ones who bared the mark falsely. We know this today. We know many people who will claim that they've been baptized but do not actually have the faith through which we are saved by Christ alone. So that was true of circumcision. It's true of baptism today. Not everyone who is baptized is truly saved, whether they were baptized as an infant, a child, or whether later they professed the faith in Christ and were baptized but then show that faith not to be genuine. So circumcision and baptism is not a seal it's not a guarantee of our faith. It's not a guarantee of our faith. Look carefully at what verse 11 says. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Circumcision was not a seal of Abraham's faith. It was a sign and seal of the righteousness that was his by faith. Now think about why Paul wrote Romans 4. Paul wrote Romans 4 to give Old Testament proof of what he had just said in Romans chapter 3. That justification is on the basis of faith. You are saved, you're made right with God, apart from any of your own works. So you cannot boast, it's by faith alone. People are accounted righteous before God, not on the basis of their works, but through faith in Jesus. And so that's why he brings in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, how is circumcision connected to this? Circumcision is not a guarantee that Abraham has faith. It's not even a guarantee that he has righteousness. It is a guarantee. The question is, of what? Circumcision guaranteed the word of God's promise that righteousness will be given on the basis of faith. And beloved, what a wonderful promise this is. That anyone who has faith will be saved. You'll be forgiven of all your sin and credited with all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Sign me up, right? What a wonderful promise. Circumcision was the authenticating mark that certified the truth of God's promise. It visibly proclaimed. 
something about God. It said, God will give his righteousness to the one who has faith. That's the promise in circumcision. That's the promise in baptism. The gospel, the good news that we preach is true. Amen? So what was certified or what was sealed was not so much a truth about Abraham or any person who has been circumcised, but instead a truth about God. God gives us signs to say something about himself, not about us primarily. Now, in particular, circumcision certified the truth of God's word in the gospel. All who will believe, all who believe will be counted righteous. That's why the sign could be, and indeed was commanded to be, given not only to Abraham, but to his seed, to his male children as well. The sign could be given before the children believed, before they professed faith in the Lord, because it was not a seal of their faith. Instead, it was a seal of God's promise of righteousness to the one who would respond in faith. So the sign could be given first, and then later the blessing of the sign could come. Now, if you were a foreigner in the land, you had never been circumcised, and you're brought into the covenant community, then you would be circumcised as an adult, you and your household. And the same is true with baptism in the New Testament. Now, you come into the New Testament. If you've never been baptized and you hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, then you receive the sign. You and your household. There are three household baptisms referenced in the New Testament. And some will say, well, yes, that's true, but there's no direct word that those households contained children. That's true. There's no direct word in the scriptures. And there's also no direct word that everyone in that household believed. But imagine if we said three households from proclamation were baptized. And that's all we said. Were there children in our household or not? Well, if you took three random households from our church family, there's a pretty good chance there's going to be children in one of those households. In the New Testament era, households were much larger than ours today. They included not only the physical relatives, but often extended family, often servants, and so we, are, we see this common thread. In Acts, chapter two made her, uh, in Acts chapter 2, Peter makes the connection. He says, re- he's preaching the gospel, and he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, for the promises for you and for your children. Everyone whom the Lord our God will call to himself. So Peter's making that direct connection. Beloved, circumcision is a physical mark, it's an external mark, but it points to something different from and greater than itself. It points to a spiritual and inward reality. It's clear, Abraham was justified. He was declared to be righteous with God by his faith. And the outward sign and seal that was given to Abraham to remind him and assure him of his standing before God was circumcision. So it wasn't a badge of national identity. It was a spiritual sign pointing to a spiritual and inward reality. It pointed to the circumcision of his heart. That's why we read Colossians 2 as part of our liturgy, our our service this morning. Because in that passage, 
Paul speaks of both spiritual circumcision and spiritual baptism, and he applies both to the believer. It helps us see that physical baptism has replaced physical circumcision in the New Testament, in the life of the believer today. So the New Testament tells us circumcision is no longer required. We see that in Acts chapter 15. But we see that baptism is required. We see that in Acts chapter 2, where Peter just preached. I mentioned that. And then Colossians chapter 2 suggests for us that baptism functions in the same way that circumcision did in the Old Testament. They both signify cleansing and consecration. Cleansing and consecration. Now let's talk about that for a moment. Circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New Testament, they both signify a cleansing from sin. Now remember, the sign is not the thing itself. The big sign on the side of the road that says Troy is not the city of Troy. It's not the thing itself. Being circumcised does not make you clean. Being baptized does not wash away your sin. Instead, the signs testify to the truth that God cleanses you from sin when you trust in Jesus. That's why we sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not my baptism, but nothing but the blood of Jesus. So there's a cleansing related to the sign. There's also consecration. The person who receives this sign is now claimed by God as his own. Devoted to God for obedience and service. Bound in duty to serve God with all his heart, all his mind, all his soul, all his strength. To live as God's person. To acknowledge God's truth and rule over him. It's not so much that the person has pledged himself to God, but that God has claimed him. And that compels us to respond with grateful devotion. Beloved, God gives these signs to affirm his word, his promise to us, not ours to him. Now we call these signs sacraments. And we believe that there are two in the New Testament, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they're very important to us here at Proclamation. That's why we have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. But these sacraments are visible displays, both baptism and the Lord's Supper. They're visible displays of the gospel that is preached, the gospel that is heard. So think about your baptism. Baptism preaches the gospel to you in a very important way. It's an external act. It's a physical reality. It's truths that we can touch, we can see, we can feel. So baptism makes a very real and powerful promise tangible. It's no longer just a promise that we hear. It's tangible. It's, we can feel it. So today, think about it. Today, Colin was mentioned this in his prayer. We, we know that you come from various walks of life, uh, various circumstances in your life. Some of you may come happy and healthy today. So today you may believe that you're forgiven. You may, you may be confident that you are a new creation. You may be fully assured of God's love for you this day. But what about tomorrow? What about on the day when you sin grievously? And perhaps over and over and over. Or what about when cancer is diagnosed for you or for a loved one? Or when you are betrayed by a loved one? How will you feel then? What will you think about? What will you believe? How strong will your faith be? 
Will you feel forgiven when you've sinned? Will you be assured of God's love? Will you have the hope of a new creation when cancer is destroying your body? Will you rest in God's love and his peace and his acceptance of you when you are unloved by a friend or a family member? You see, beloved, a hope or a faith that is based upon our feelings or on our circumstances is a hope that is built on a shaky foundation. It will not survive the storms of life. And Lord willing, we'll come back next week and and look more on that in particular. But our hope is not based on our feelings or our circumstances. It's based on God's promise. And we have that promise in God's word. This is why it's so important that we think about the word of God, that we meditate on it, that indeed we memorize it. So Psalm 119:50, this is my comfort in my affliction. You hear what the psalmist is saying? He has affliction. But there's a comfort in the midst of his affliction. And what is it? That your promise gives me life. So we have this promise in God's word. A tremendous gift that we have. It is true forever. We have this promise in his word. But God in his kindness, he knows how frail we are. How fickle we are. How weak we are. He knows how hard life can be and is. So he's also given us his promise in water and bread and wine. And he does so because he loves us. And he knows that we need his help and we need his grace so that we will be confident in his love, so that we will grow in our faith. Beloved, baptism and the Lord's Supper are God's promise in physical form. And they are wonderful gifts from God. It matters what we think about. It matters what we believe. It matters what we believe about the sign of the covenant. For it tells us that salvation is 100% the work of God. 100%. God is the one alone who cleanses us and consecrates us. He cleanses us from all sin. That's why Paul quotes David, Blessed, happy, are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. The sign preaches to us. As much as I am preaching God's word to you right now, the sign preaches God's word and promise to us that those who respond in repentance and faith in Christ are washed, truly washed clean by the blood of Jesus, who cleanses us from all sin and from all unrighteousness. So how much sin is in your account? None. None. That is amazing. That Christ's blood has cleansed you from all your sin. It matters what you think about, what you believe. Do you believe that to be true? And how much righteousness is in your account? The full amount. The perfect righteousness of Christ. So beloved, live like this is true. Let your life bear the fruit of this repentance and faith in you. We are God's people. How? Why? Not because of us. Because of God's grace, we are his people. And encouraged by his promise, 
Let us strive together by all the means of his appointment to live as becomes the followers of Jesus Christ. So this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. What promise? Well, there are many promises. Today we're focusing on, in on the promise of the sign. Your promise gives me life. So the promise of cleansing, forgiveness for all my sin, past, present, future, taken away from you, taken off of your shoulders, and nailed to the cross of Christ. Beloved, this is God's promise to you who respond in faith. This is my comfort and the affliction of my sin. His promise gives me life. I also have the promise of his presence, his enabling grace. I can indeed walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that is pleasing to him. And so, beloved, whenever we baptize someone, I didn't really plan this far enough in advance. So I was, I was working through this on, on Wednesday, and Colin saw this. like, oh, you're preaching on baptism on Sunday. I was like, yeah, you want to have Drew baptized? He said, yeah, but I think Becky probably wants some family members there. So we didn't quite plan it right. But when we have a baptism, when we do have Drew baptized, when the day comes, or any of your children, we will encourage you, who've already been baptized, to remember your baptism. And I would encourage you to do that not only when you actually see a physical, visible baptism. Do it then, but you can do it throughout the week. Remember your baptism. Why? Because it can build you up in holiness and comfort. It will spur you on to live a holy life. You belong to Jesus. So walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. But also remember your baptism to comfort you, to give you the assurance of your salvation. So I mentioned Martin Luther earlier, distraught that he couldn't be righteous enough, overwhelmed with joy when he discovered it was the righteousness of Christ that saved him. Later in life, he's discouraged. He's confused. He's questioning the value of the Reformation. He's questioning his own faith, which all believers do at times. And he's going through this. He's wrestling this. And when that would happen, he would write out, I have been baptized. And he did that not because he's trusting in baptism to save him, but because he understands it's the seal of righteousness for those who have faith. It's the seal of God's promise. He's reminding himself that he belonged to Jesus, that Jesus claimed him as his own, that he's united to Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection. His hope is not in himself. It's not in his baptism, but what it represents, God's promise. Those who believe in Jesus will be cleansed and they will be counted righteous. This is my comfort and my affliction. The promise of God gives me life. Beloved, perhaps you need this comfort today. Maybe for yourself. Maybe for one of your children. We need this comfort today. God has made a promise. His seal of ownership upon you. May you trust in him. Not your own ability to obey. But his perfect record of obedience. Maybe you need this comfort, this hope for your children. Perhaps they're young children who've been baptized but have not yet professed their own faith in Christ. Or maybe it's for adult children who are wayward and they have been baptized but they're not living a life of faith. Beloved, trust in God. 
whether they're young, whether they're old, not your ability to control them or to change them. Yes, we call them to repentance and we point them to Christ and we remind them of God's call upon their lives. They have been marked with the seal that they belong to God. We remind them of that. We pray for them and we trust in our gracious God who saves, who's faithful to all his promises. Do you see that it matters what you think about? What you believe, it makes a difference. So think about Jesus today. In the midst of your affliction, whether it's the, the affliction of sin or the affliction of suffering, think about Jesus. Believe and trust in him. And remembering your baptism can help you do that. And God's word will help you as well. So keep working on Romans 8, 31 to 39, or maybe the entire chapter. And add Psalm 119.50 to your list. This is my comfort in my affliction. That your promise gives me life. It's not what I do that gives me life. It's his promise and his faithfulness. So beloved, may we all trust our Savior Jesus today. Amen.